really the entire goal for 100 Thieves is I want this company and this brand to be the first thing that people uh, you know, correlate to gaming. I want it to be the, the first thing that comes into top of mind. Like I want to be the, the definition of pop culture within gaming. You know, I want every kid walking the hallways of school to know what 100 Thieves is. And I want every athlete in the NBA or the NFL or the MLB to know what 100 Thieves is. What's up, everyone? Welcome to Creator Economics, episode 10. Today's guest, uh, I could introduce him in so many different ways from now venture investor to YouTuber to esports founder, also Creator Games 2 co-host, uh, Matt, Nadeshot, Hag. Thank you for being with us today, Matt. I I'm curious. So I wanted to kind of start off with just how you and Blake met, because I find it such an interesting story. You know, Blake says he's a founder of 100 Thieves. So I'd love to just hear like how you guys initially met. Blake is actually the real founder of 100 Thieves, in my opinion. This is all very true. I feel like I've done a pretty good job as a friend of making sure people understand how instrumental Blake actually was in starting 100 Thieves. I think he, he deserves way more credit than he actually gets, but he sort of sits in the shadows anyways, I think in a lot of uh, the businesses that he's a part of. But uh, Blake, Blake was like a, a crazy ex-girlfriend trying to reach me. Blake, I mean, he's probably told the story a lot, so I don't want, I, I don't need it to be a long-winded answer, but um, Blake was messaging me all the time on Twitter, and this was years and years and years ago, and obviously, I, I came into my relevancy back in like 2013 and progressively continued to grow, and Blake uh, seemed like, I don't know how I stumbled upon his profile, but he seemed like he tweeted some interesting thoughts, like things that were unique to my timeline. And uh, I finally decided to follow him, but I thought he was like a sham. I thought he was like an imposter or a fake. <laughs> like I was calling an emergency meeting every single time that I looked at his profile because it said he worked at Nest and SpaceX and Google. And I'm like, this kid doesn't look a day over 18. How is this true? Because there's a lot of people that like to cap on the internet mm -hmm. and, and beef up their social media status. So that's what I attributed it to. But finally, he, he kept DMing me, kept DMing me. Uh, and finally, I just decided like, this guy seems like he's pretty smart. He wants to help me out. What's the worst that can happen if I take a meeting and, and get on a phone call? And he introduced me to Dan Gilbert. He helped me build the pitch deck because I didn't even know what the hell that was back then. And uh, lo and behold, a couple weeks later, I'm at the NBA finals in a conference room at the you know Four Seasons with Dan Gilbert uh, pitching my heart and soul uh, about 100 Thieves. And, and just to back up a little bit too, so 100 Thieves at that point in time was just an apparel business, right? And so you hadn't even, had you even thought about like pushing into esports or was that something that Blake had really convinced you to do? To be honest with you, I, I actually talk about this on stream quite a bit. I didn't really have any, any intention when 100 Thieves first started to jump back into esports. I mean, I spent my entire career a part of an incredible organization, Optic Gaming, shout out to Hector Rodriguez, uh, some of the best years of my life. But at that time, I found it very difficult to understand the, the future of organizations and how they can monetize. It, I mean, it just didn't exist back then. I mean, even when me and Hector were a part of Optic, we're like looking at other teams, trying to figure out how they're spending all this money. Because I was completely oblivious and ignorant to raising money and, and using that capital to build different revenue streams and have more opportunities than just what was in front of us. So I just wanted to create an apparel company that I really loved and I hope my fans would really love. And that was the only intention at the time. Yeah, I, I think it's so interesting because at that time, you know, I was reaching out and, and I, it, there was a, like, honestly, the real context was we were reaching out around League of Legends franchising. That was like the rumor that was happening. And that was what sparked the discussion internally. And we kept thinking about how, how we would even set that up. And, and Matt was just one of those people. And 100 Thieves existed as, you know, the, the first iteration. Uh, and it was just like, wow, we, we should really be reaching out. I think what was so interesting for me from my perspective through all that is, you you actually took a step that I think most creators don't, which is like opting to build something bigger than themselves. And uh, even before we were involved or, or had talked, like you had already thought about, let me build this this other brand rather than just Nature. Like, how did you even think about that aspect? Because I think most creators today are all about, let's just go and build Nature Inc. and, and just push Nature merch. Like, how did you think about, you know, the foresight of that? Because I think that that was brilliant. Well, I mean, you, I mean, again, you, you kind of just answered your own question because you were <laughs> you were pushing me to think broader. I mean, I, I get a lot of credit at Hundred Thieves, but a lot of the origin story really needs to be attributed to Blake because I definitely wanted to insulate my future in a way. I mean, even though I was 
finding success every day when I uploaded to YouTube and went live on Twitch, there's always just like this, this fear that would pop up every single night as I toss and turn in bed is how long can I do this for? You know, I kind of compared it to like, uh, like a new player in like the NFL or the NBA that might not be at the, the top in terms of earnings. Like how long will this career actually last? And so I felt like 100 Thieves was an opportunity with the route that Blake was pushing me to go towards to really set myself up for the future. And when you get caught up in the rat race of content creation, you, you, you deal with a lot of burnouts um, and just stress from the, the constant like hamster wheel that you feel like you're on. And that was definitely getting to me. Like for years while living in LA, after leaving Optic, you know, I was actually doing a pretty good job of uploading consistently and selling sponsorships against my content. That was really my only two revenue streams. And it's just stressful. It's stressful when you don't really have anybody else in your corner trying to support you and, and, and work towards the same goals as you. Every single day, the responsibility is on your shoulders to make sure this doesn't disappear in a year. And now that I wasn't competing in competitive Call of Duty anymore, like it was, it was, it, it, I think that pressure was actually bogging me down and, and I would lay on the couch like eight hours a day, like, what am I gonna do? Like, truly, like I felt like, I always wanted to go see a therapist. I did it when I was younger, when my mom was sick and I still plan to do it. I mean, my depression or what I thought was depression was definitely real back then. And I had really bad anxiety. And I feel like 100 Thieves and the vision that Blake laid out to me just seemed like a way out of like this, this dark place I was in mentally. Like it had an opportunity to work with other like-minded individuals towards the same goal, building 100 Thieves up and, and building a, a business that could last for decades rather than potentially just a couple of years as an individual. Mm -hmm. how, how involved in the business, like in the day-to-day -day are you? Or because I, I know you still stream on Twitch and you still create content to some extent. Are, are you very involved in the actual operations of the business? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I touch every part of our business. I mean, candidly, I mean, not from a micromanagement uh, of each department of like our partnerships team and our content and our esports it's really like high level high level discussions about what are the next six months to year going to look like what are the next two three four five years going to look like really planting the seeds for the rest of our, our like the 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 business um the lanes and of our business like i said esports partnerships content like planting the seeds for them to go and execute upon to, you know, grow over the next few years. So I, I mean, I'm definitely involved. I mean, John, my partner, who's the COO uh, and president of the company, he's definitely on like the day to day catching up with all of our executive team and leadership team, uh, making sure they're staying on task doing like, uh, you know, weekly and monthly reviews with all of our employees. I don't I, I'm not involved in that. You know, my job is to make sure I can shout about 100 thieves from the mountaintops. And that's where I'm most impactful. But I, I definitely am involved every single day. Um, there's no days off, not even on the weekends. That, that's something I've definitely learned uh, as, a, as a founder of a startup. So one, one thing that I've come across multiple times now is when creators make that jump into being entrepreneurs, and, and you've definitely done this now, running 100 Thieves, do you feel like you've left money on the table that you could have made if you just focused on content creation as opposed to like, <clears throat> now you're being the CEO of 100 Thieves, you're doing that day to day, which you can't produce as much content or stream as much on Twitch. Has there ever been like a point, and, and I've, I've come across this with other clients of mine and other friends who have started businesses, is they feel like they're, they're leaving short-term money on the table for a risk that they will be able to cash out in the long-term. Have you ever thought about that? Yeah, I mean, transparently, of course. I, I, I think it would be short-sighted to not think about that as somebody who started 100 Thieves to insulate for my future or to give myself opportunities to grow, um, definitely financially. But yeah, I mean, I've, I've left money on the table without a doubt from a short-term perspective. I mean, I've pretty much invested my entire brand that I've been building for like the last 10 years into 100 Thieves in hopes of making it a success uh, that is much bigger than myself. So, it, I mean, it's definitely like a, a point of stress and has been since we started. But I think that's a testament to how much I believe in the company and the people that I work with every single day. Uh, because uh, I, I mean, if I didn't, trust me, and if I didn't, I, I, like, I'd walk away and I wouldn't look back. But I think the, the beautiful thing about 100 Thieves is, I mean, right now, I think we, we're at over 60 employees. We have incredible investors. We have an incredible uh, board members. And I feel like I just can't fail with that many talented and, and, and like intellectuals around me. I mean, it's... It's great. And, it, and it's, it's even better for me too, because 
like from a content perspective, when you talk about short-term earnings um, being lost from streaming every single day and uploading videos, I have a 20 person production team that makes me look better every single day. And uh, that's like, it, it, that is so valuable. Um, and I, like, I definitely understand that this is a long-term investment and uh, hopefully it'll, it'll pay off one day and I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that it does for everybody that's involved in the company and not just myself. Mm. Yeah. I, I think you just brought up something that's even more interesting. You're like, when I first met you, you didn't even have an editor. Like you were, you were, you were really a one man team and, yeah. and doing everything. And, and how do you think that transition has been so far? You know, like you, you just mentioned a 20 person production team and you know, you actually have, I, I, 60 employees or whatever you're working with such a massive team when you were literally just a one-man show before like how has that transition been just overall for you honestly you know what i was actually just having con this conversation with my girlfriend uh downstairs before this started up because really like our goal right now uh well i don't want to get too deep into the weeds and spoil <laughs> things but i think uh I don't think I actually have been utilizing our production team as, as, nearly as much as I could. I, I think over the last three years, getting to the point that we're at today, like the comparison that I'm sure a lot of you guys have heard, uh, definitely working in venture, starting companies, is I, I felt like we were really building the, the plane while we were flying, right? And so there were just so many different ideas and concepts, con concepts and ideation that we went through where the idea just seems so big that we can't do it right now because there's so many like low hanging fruits that we have to execute on. We need to get videos ramped up on our channel. Like what, what can we do now? And then hopefully accomplish in the future. And I think uh, this year for me, we've now built such a great foundation in all aspects of our business that I feel like I have the firepower and the ammunition from a production standpoint to go work on projects that I really believe in. I, I, I definitely will say that when you talk about me building my channel, like a one man show and, and, and being the director, the editor, the producer, I don't miss that. But I actually, in the last three years, it's, I think it's actually hurt me because I have such a hard time giving up creative control on my personal channel. Like John, my business partner, he's always trying to get more videos up. He's always trying to push me. And I, like, I, I, I'm like, yo, you need to sit down. We got to chill out because this is my channel and like nobody's going to touch it. And but seeing the success of 100 Thieves and the, we just reached 100 million views um, today and we, we reached over a million subscribers and like really seeing what trust, like how far that goes with our production team. It's, it's definitely gotten me excited about some of the original concepts that I have planned for 2021 uh, for my channel and 100 Thieves. So it's been great. It's been better. Uh, I definitely have learned a lot in those three years and I'm always learning. So I'm excited to see what I can do in the next year. Yeah, giving up creative control. It's like two things, finding an editor that content creators trust, which was probably your yep. first hurdle that you were like, I'm never going to find an editor. I just had a conversation with a client about this. He's like, I'm never going to find an editor who can edit the videos like I do. And I was Feel like, yeah, I was soul. like, Jimmy said that two years ago and, I, and he found someone. And then the next one's like giving up some type of creative control over your content is like that next big hurdle. Um, and, I, and I just like, uh, we were talking to Matt Stoney about this and he was like, I'm always gonna have to like do my own creative. And I was like, trust me, man, there's someone out there that can help you. It's just, we have to get like over that hurdle to find the right people. Yeah, I think that the last couple of words you said there are important, right? You need to find something that can help you and not take over for you. Yeah. Because I, I definitely understand that, that challenge and that hurdle. There's some really successful YouTubers. I mean, you mentioned Matt Stoney for one, um, you know, a lot of people that I've bumped into in the past are still doing what I was doing three years ago and doing it themselves. It, it, it is a process. It's a painstaking process, like vetting candidates. I mean, the only place I feel like a lot of creators know to look or is on social media. In a lot of ways, it, that's not going to be the place that you find somebody. I mean, maybe you can find the hidden gems that really send like a great resume. But as soon as you put out a tweet, you're getting like 500 emails and some kid that's uh, like editing Minecraft videos uh, w on like Windows Movie Maker. And it, 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 everybody starts somewhere, don't get me wrong, but these creators at the high level of production that they're at, they need a professional. So I think it's a lot of networking. And I promise to any creator that actually sees this or watches this, there's light at the end of the tunnel. I promise you there's a match made in heaven. You just got to make some phone calls, ask for help, and really build a great relationship and rapport with the individual that you're working with. Because once, once you guys are on the same page, 
man, it, it's like fireworks going off. It's just going to be nothing but upside. Mm-hmm. And to be patient with that editor too. We've run into situations yeah. where they think it's like day one, this person's going to get my style. They're going to be able to edit my videos. And it's just not the case. Like you have to actually put in the time. You have to train them. You have to give them notes. But once they're up to that speed, uh, it's they're worth their weight in gold, right? And so that's yeah. like where every creator needs to get with that with that first like team member, which is usually an editor. Yeah, it's not easy, man. It It, it, is, worth, it's, it is worth its weight in gold though. It, you just got to hang in there. As long as they have the talent, direction will come and uh it just takes time so i, I want to pivot a little bit into into esports and talk a little bit about a few different things within like esports business models and this is a very broad subject so i want to narrow it down here initially but the one thing that i was thinking about earlier today and and this you know really deals with you guys you just got into and i'm wearing the merch or the apparel right now for the la thieves i literally just got this in the mail today i opened a box and it was just like sitting there in my apartment so i appreciate you sending it I, I love course, this man. stuff. You guys, you guys are at the top of your game right now with everything you guys Thank are creating. You. But it, it brings up you know, a good point of like the longevity of certain games. And the reason it came up today is because someone brought up Fall Guys. And that was like, and it's definitely not an esport, but it was a game that like people thought was going to hit all year long. And then it really just fell off. And then Among Us kind of came out of nowhere. How do you guys internally think about the longevity of certain games? Like as you get into Call of Duty, as you get now into Valorant, um, which is a new game that just came out from Riot Games. Like, is, is that something that you guys are discussing or are you not as worried about like the longevity of Call of Duty because they come out with a new game every year? You know, how, how do you guys think about that? Yeah, of course. I mean, you d- you definitely don't make uh, a multi-million dollar investment without really going through the exploration of what that investment's going to look like, not only a year from now, two years from now. Like, what is what does this investment look like for the next 10 years? And uh, Fall Guys is actually funny. It's kind of off topic, but I feel like Fall Guys actually, they, they, that was just bad timing for Among Us because Fall Guys was actually doing really well. Mm-hmm. And then Among Us just came in, swooped in. And um, like Fall Guys was actually throttled by their own success because it, it just got so popular so quickly. They just didn't have enough firepower on the back end to you know, bring out new content, new maps quick enough. Um, but for our investments, uh, especially for Call of Duty, I mean, we, we obviously didn't jump in year one. We talked about it publicly in our announcement video. You know, there were a lot of concerns around branding and, and what we could actually do with our team name and what city we were going to be in. And for us at that time, when we, did, when we turned down uh, Call of Duty, we felt like there was a really great replacement for all of our FPS fanatics, and that was CSGO. And then obviously we've seen how difficult CSGO can be to operate, the money that you're spending, the regions that you need to be in. So. Every game has its, has its hurdles, but I think what just rang true for me with Call of Duty is that it was the genesis of my career. It's been popular since 2009, and uh, I think it's gone through its lulls. I mean, that's, that's the issue that you have when you have three different developers creating a new game every single year. There can be inconsistencies in the franchise and what players attach to and, and keeps them coming back. But I think Warzone was like a great uh, proof of concept. I mean... When, like two years ago, the only thing that you saw on YouTube was like Minecraft and Fortnite. And I think what has really been like a glaring surprise is the, the culture that Warzone has captured, right? Like this casual fan base that has always played Call of Duty has come back in droves and it's all over TikTok. It's, I mean, I, I, I don't know where it, could, where it stacks up on YouTube compared to like Fortnite and Roblox and Minecraft, but that's, that's not as relevant for us just because... I just truly believe Call of Duty is going to be around forever. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a game engine that is easy to digest. It's easy to play. It's easy to hop into if you're a new player. Uh, Warzone has become like a pop culture uh, phenomenon, just like Fortnite was. All of our athletes are playing it. I mean, people love the game. And so I think with that paired with the fact that we were bringing back players uh, that had won championships for us before, we were able to... Uh, you know, put our flag down in LA where we're based out of, and we were able to bring thieves into our core branding. I think it just makes sense. I mean, I I think it's a home run. And uh, I think Blake would actually be great to talk about this because, you know, he was sort of on the fence, I believe, not to throw you under the bus, but, (laughs) you know, he asked me some really hard questions. And I think that's really important for somebody who's on our board and who was the founder, co-founder of this company. I'm curious what he thinks. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it was, you know, we this obviously wasn't, you know, an easy decision. There there was tons of discussions and, and I think there's 
there's no denying Matt's background in this space and anyone that, that knows Nadeshot as a name, I think has some affiliation with Call of Duty in their head. I, I mean, actually, I don't know at this point, you know, like uh, who knows at what point people are entering into your story. Um, but I think there, a large majority have some affiliation with Call of Duty in their mind with you. And I think there was a huge piece missing by by us not being in there. And um, there's a lot to gain by going back to it. And, and we saw, you know, with the first uh, iteration of us being in Call of Duty, how impactful that could be and i think you know at, at a board when we just started to discuss all the nuances it, it really started to make sense and um yeah and and i think having matt in a game that he is so well known in and he is in my opinion like almost a michael jordan of and and uh i, I know matt would okay i mean yeah, yeah. i'll like take that. it whatever like yeah like you know in in, in the sense of like matt was such an integral part of mm-hmm. uh of all of that and I think you, you you think of the early days of of Call of Duty. A lot of that success was around that that optic and Matt Brand and uh, and I think you know having him come back in, the storylines are all there. And I think having optic and and hundred thieves in there and uh, whatever other rivalries that that might emerge. But I think the one thing that esports, in in my opinion, is has always been been missing as a broader story is just around these storylines and and i think when you have these really compelling storylines where you know you now have nade shot 100 thieves uh going up against his old teams and and really like these are teams that are going to be in there for a long time the legacy and storylines that will emerge i think is just going to be fascinating yeah, yeah and the other thing to remember about call of duty 2 i i mean it, it's tough to boil down into like a couple minutes on this podcast <laughs> i think we did a pretty good job of explaining our investment so i know i'm going to miss things so don't you know hold a knife to my throat um on on my answer here but i think uh i think what's really important too with any brand is to have like a really dedicated and connected and ravenous fan base right like call of duty in comparison to other games like obviously worldwide people love league of legends people absolutely love league of legends it's the reason why it's the biggest esport in the world biggest game in the world but with call of duty it's always had a consistent viewership i mean it's it, it's never going to be a game where there's like 50 million concurrence watching like you you might see or 50 million total 80 million 100 million like league of legends uh boasts but call of duty has always been a consistent esports title and reed you brought up longevity I mean, there's a reason why we're not in like eight to 10 different esports. You know, we, we really want to, not that we, we want to ignore or, uh, you know, disservice, not disservice. We don't want to ignore other games, obviously. Um, and I respect all competitors across every esports title. Like, as long as you got people that want to compete, it's an esports title in my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with like Call of Duty, Valorant, and League of Legends, and Fortnite, I think those are safe investments. I think those are smart investments. And uh, I'm excited for Call of Duty, man. I think it's going to be a good year. Yeah. And, and for some people watching, they probably don't understand the that this actually, it costs money to buy into Call of Duty and League of Legends because they're franchise leagues, as opposed to say something like uh, Rocket League, where you guys could just acquire a team, all of a sudden be in the league and, and play the game. So there's a significant investment behind some of these things. And you guys, I think, bought into League of Legends, which... Correct me if I'm wrong. I think it was 13 million, uh, 10 million for teams that were originally in. And since you guys were a new team, I think it was 13 million over some multiple years, right? So there, there's yeah. an investment that that goes along with that. And I remember uh, talking to Hector about this when Optic played Hundred Thieves in League of Legends. It was like week one, three years ago, and it just didn't feel like a rivalry at the time because neither of you guys really came up in League of Legends, right? Yeah. And so I think it was important you guys getting back to Call of Duty. I'm sure all the fans agree. Um, and so w- one thing I want to talk about, and it's, it, this is kind of goes in line with you guys, is like there's different types of esports teams that, that I've realized. There's ones like Cloud9 who are really focused on being in a lot of games and they're diversifying across multiple games. And then there's, there's teams like you guys who are really like a multifaceted media company where you have like a podcasting division, a content division, you have a, a large list of content creators. So a- as you think about, you know, the evolution of, of 100 Thieves, like, where are you guys currently focused on the content, content creator side of the business? Like, are you currently looking to sign people? I know you guys aggressively signed, you just signed to hype. And, and when you do look at content creators, like what are the things that you personally look at? You know, cause you were a content creator. That's, that's where you came from and also a pro player. Yeah, I mean, for us, I think really the ultimate goal, and this is what I told investors when we raised our seed series or series A or series B, I think the ultimate goal is that 
the NBA and the NFL and the MLB, these are always going to be uh, sports that people are going to watch to a certain degree. You know, people like to talk about the baseball dying and mm-hmm. the NFL and politics and the NBA, whatever the case may be. Those, those, I, I love traditional sports. Those games are always going to be played, right? But what's interesting about gaming is that it, it's becoming pop culture. Mainstream has come to gaming. And I, I, I believe that that is only going to continue to grow and that, that it is only going to continue to be more true uh, day after day. I, I, I truly believe that at any moment, there can be a new Fortnite, there can be a new Minecraft, there can be a new Call of Duty. And the gaming experience is only going to get more connected, more immersive, more experiential. And it, it, just, it, it's, it shows no sign of slowing down. So really the entire goal for 100 Thieves is I want this company and this brand to be the first thing that people uh, you know, correlate to gaming. I want it to be the, the first thing that comes into top of mind. Like I want to be the, the definition of pop culture within gaming. You know, I want every kid walking the hallways of school to know what 100 Thieves is. And I want every athlete in the NBA or the NFL or the MLB to know what 100 Thieves is if they go back to their hotel rooms and play video games. So I think that's why our business seems uh, so spread out in comparison to a lot of teams that only focus on winning and are only approaching it like a traditional sports franchise. And I don't think there's a wrong way to do things. I mean, at the end of the day, like all tides raise the ships or tides raise all the ships. So um, yeah, I mean, for us, uh, obviously creators are really important. I think. diversifying our audience. I mean, 2Hype is, is a perfect example. Those guys all started within gaming, playing NBA 2K. And now in my mind, 2Hype is one of the biggest lifestyle brands on all of YouTube. I mean, these guys can really do anything. They went fly fishing in the ocean, deep sea fishing. The video in one day had over a million views. I mean, for people in the gaming industry to not understand why we signed them, I think is, is short-sighted in a lot of ways because there was some pushback from outliers in, in, in our community. But what people really need to understand is I, I don't think that there's any parameters that we set in mind uh, when it comes to creators. Like if you believe in your audience and you believe in the content that you're creating and we find it interesting and we think it could be a great fit to our culture here at 100 Thieves, it's match made in heaven at that point. And so I, I, I don't think that there's ever blinders that we put on in terms of the talent that we're trying to sign. We just want to be a culture fit and see how we can help each individual creator, whether they're playing games, whether they're playing basketball in their backyards, whether they're making TikToks. I mean, you're going to see, I think in 2021, like a diverse roster of, of creators that we're signing because I, I just think it's, it, it, it is a mistake to just focus on one thing and one thing only. Yeah, if you only sign yeah. gamers, you only get gamer fans, right? Like, I think that's what people need to understand is like, you guys are trying to be a lifestyle brand. And if you want to be a lifestyle brand, it scales, be, it actually scales beyond gaming, which I think 2Hype does really well. They still stay in that traditional sports genre, which also revolves around gaming. But there's like the little like circle of gaming. And then there's the larger circle of like all this other types of content that you guys have done a good job of getting into. I'm curious to see like, do you push into other areas that are a little bit outside of gaming that kind of revolve around that circle? Um, so like what, what content creators are you guys still evaluating gamers? Are you, are you looking at more people like Two hype? Like what, what's 2020 going to bring? I, I, I probably want to keep my cards a little closer to my chest with that answer. Uh, just because I do think our strategy is somewhat unique. And, uh, I think in my mind, What's really important, man, I just lost my train of thought when I was making sure that I didn't spill the beans for 2021. <laughs> don't worry, um, don't worry. We'll cut it out. Blake Blake would never allow that to stay in the podcast. No, I mean, I, <laughs> hey, look, I don't know if you guys do cuts. You don't need to do cuts. Uh, I, don't, I, I don't carry the way. I just, oh, I, I remember what I was going to say. I, I think what the beginning of your question, when you said you guys are aspiring to be a lifestyle brand, I talked about this on stream yesterday. There have been people chattering in the esports community about us being like a hoodie organization and we only want to pedal off merchandise and apparel to our fans. And I, I, I'll say this until I'm blue in the face, I will never have any shame in creating apparel that I love and sharing that with our community. This was a lifestyle apparel brand when it started. <laughs> and we're, we, Of course, I come from gaming and yes, we jump back into esports and, and, and gaming content and gaming culture just because we create apparel that is really awesome and people that enjoy to, and they, they want to be a part of this story. How, how can anybody shame us for that? I, I think that's a, a really short sighted thought process. And uh, yeah, the goal obviously is, like I said, at, at the beginning of all this, we want 
100 Thieves to be top of mind when you think about gaming, whether that is our power, whether that is our content, whether that's our teams. I don't think there's a wrong way uh, to think about 100 Thieves in that sense. Yeah, if you make a yeah, if, I, if you make a tweet like that, you probably shouldn't come out with a hoodie for your organization two weeks later. It makes you look real guess, bad. So well, I'll just I, leave yeah, it at that. I but. got no. I don't. I, I don't know who you're talking about. I got no comment. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think the we haven't really even discussed apparel as as mm-hmm. you know the facet like another aspect of of, of hundred thieves. And I think a lot of people you know don't even realize like how much of a creative input you have. And and I think from my perspective that that was always like the most interesting thing is like you are in my mind sort of like the creative genius behind a lot of this this branding and and uh, apparel i'm curious how you think about you you mentioned before that the dream is to have people wearing this stuff that maybe aren't even gamers or you're having you know nba stars wearing this and and just because it is cool in my mind that immediately goes to, you know, the same way Supreme was only for sneakers or for uh, skateboarding back in the day. Like, do you think there are the pair, like those parallels? Do you, do you still think that, you know, hundred thieves is the Supreme of, of gaming or how do you think about just aspirationally? What, what brands you look up to? To be honest with you, man, I, I, I really appreciate you gassing me up. Call me a creative genius. <laughs> uh, one thing that I've always said is I just know what I like when I like it and when I see it. I, you know, I, I feel like uh, for my own personal style, that's, that's really what 100 Thieves was started for, was to create a brand beyond Nate Shot that my audience would think is really, really cool and really dope. And they'd want to rock it when they're walking down the street on a Sunday or when they're going to school, whatever the case may be. So I, I, I don't I don't like to make comparisons to Supreme. Uh, I, I think, you know, for for some in semantics in my mind. Yeah. Right. It's like, uh, of course, you know, the operators of our business and, and, and our investors love to see in the headlines the new Supreme. I, it, I don't look at it that way. Like really, at the end of the day, I just want to create dope product um, that I love and that hopefully our fans love. And that's really the end goal. For me, I, I think apparel is a really big opportunity, and you know we don't ever really talk about our you know financials from the drops that we do and what our apparel apparel business looks like. And uh, I don't know if we ever will, but I think it's it's one of the core um, revenue streams for Hundred Thieves, and I hope it continues to be. But at the end of the day, man, I just want to create apparel that I really love, and we have a great team of designers um, that are so incredibly talented and i love working with them every single day i'm excited what we have the opportunity to create in 2021 and and, and moving on and upwards into the future i'm excited apparel is probably the one thing i mean i do content every day we've got great ideas i really love our esports teams and i love to win and hopefully we will win more in the future but i truly do uh, have a have like just a soft spot for apparel man i just i just i love being a part of the process yeah i i mean i'll, I'll gas you up a little bit more just in, in the context that like you were actually the first influencer that I probably ever watched. Like if you want to actually call it a pure influencer. And the only reason I use that word is because I remember there was a moment. I don't even remember how long this is, but I'm sure you'll remember this is there was a moment where you like promoted a Burger King, like red velvet shake or something. And, and I just remember like, his Twitter for weeks was like people just tweeting to him like this red velvet shake was like the best thing ever. (laughs) And I remember I was like, I literally went to Burger King and tried this red velvet shake. And I was like, did I just like fall for some marketing trick? Like what just happened? And and, and to me, that was like, okay, wow. Like people are really bought into the world of of Matt and and Nachot. And that was like, actually from my perspective of like okay i'm I'm bought into this world so I, do you even remember that bro of course i remember that i'm so glad you brought that up because <laughs> that red velvet milkshake that entire month was like this incredible this, this just most ridiculous phenomenon that i've ever experienced on my channel and uh I, I would actually love to go back and like audit tweets from back then because <laughs> it became a part of my brand I, I honestly, like when we talk about like the rat race of creating content every single day, you're always just looking for something different and interesting to do. And my whole move to LA was to create content aside from gaming that I thought was interesting. And I went and saw an advertisement on, on, on like the internet for this red velvet milkshake at Burger King. And I, I just wanted to go try it. So I went to the drive through bought the shake, came back to my house and drank it and uploaded it. And this thing, for whatever reason, like caused a wildfire across the world because for the next like three months, everybody was telling me, I just went and tried the red velvet milkshake. I mean, I was getting hundreds of tweets every single day for at least three months. 
And then I ran with it. Like I, I, I went to Target, bought like a mixer and ingredients and tried to make my own red, red velvet milkshake. That was that was really funny, man. I'm glad you, that that uh, that brought up some memories. I, I had like a Jimmy Neutron <laughs> brain blast. That was a cool. I still get people that bring up the red velvet milkshake to this day. That was like five years ago. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I that's like literally for me, that was my like real tipping point of, wow, like these people actually have real influence. And I, I mean, it was a small thing. Right. But at the time I was just like, wow, why did I just like actually go? And and I think it's it's something around you as a person as well. That uh, is why I think people are just naturally like people feel very relatable to you or you're just a relatable person. And I don't know if that's like intentional by you in any ways. And I don't think it is. It's just you're just very real. And I think that's been uh, something that that has shown through and people are some, for some reason invested in, in your world and want to see you win, which I think is just really awesome. I think yeah, a lot I, of creators aren't like that. I mean, I, I'm grateful for all the support that I've had and allowing me to you know build this company, live out my dreams. And I, I think that's one thing that I, I would share with other people that were in my position or are still in my position today, like as individual creators, you can't be afraid to create content around things that you really love. I think a lot of people box themselves in and only think that one thing, the, the, the thing that got them, the following that they have today is the only thing that will work for the future. But at the end of the day, man, that was really the, the whole mindset behind 100 Thieves, man. I want to create something that uh, was just different from gaming and not just gaming, right? I started unboxing sneakers. I was trying milkshakes. I was doing ghost hunting in my apartment. I was making videos about anime. Like these are all things that I love. And I mean, if people love the video game that I play or played, why wouldn't they love all the things that I do in my free time or as a hobby? So I, I just encourage creators to branch out. I mean, if you're ever tired or burned out from the content that you're creating, I think uh, you need to put more, you need to put more faith in in your audience and and why they're watching you in the first place. So don't be afraid to try new things. Yeah, it's yeah. you can tell too. Like when people start hating the games or the content they're making, you can tell in their mood. You can tell in the videos. And I've seen a lot of creators fall off from that and they just continue to like bang their head against the wall with the same type of content. And they think they're just like not being served. This is like always the thing I hear. I'm not the YouTube algorithms not picking up my content. And it's like, yes. no, you're not being original. Like people can tell, like people are smart. They know when certain people don't like filming like Fortnite videos or Minecraft <laughs> videos, like they, they can tell. Right. And yeah. so the, people just need to understand, like you need to just, your audience will love what you create if you're loving what you create. Right create good content, enjoy what you do. And if your audience really enjoys the person you are and the entertainer you are, they're going to come watch your content. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, for the most part, I, I, I think uh, in the last couple of years, I've actually seen, unfortunately, a lot of creators that I came up with sort of fall off or, 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 or lose interest in the space, maybe because not enough people are watching, or maybe they're in a different stage in their life than they were when they started. And uh, I, I, again, I would just reiterate, you, you, you have to take risks and you have to create and diversify different types of content so that you have an opportunity from a, from a creative standpoint and from like a mental standpoint to, to do different things and not get burnt out on one thing. Mm -hmm. I, I, it's tough because blanket statements are something that I try to avoid because at the end of the day, it doesn't work for everybody. But you know, hopefully you have the recipe and, and the mindset and the outlook to at least take those risks and try. It, 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 it's better to fail than never have tried at all. And I actually do believe in that. It's, it's cliche, but it's true. Yeah, I, we touched on, I mean, retouched a little bit about just how you were thinking about bringing on creators and things like that. I, I think, you know, I, in the position that I am in, I get to see a lot of things behind the scenes. And, and one thing that's always intrigued me is that you really do have an eye for talent. And, and like, I remember, I don't know, this is probably 2017 or early no, late 2016 when, when still the early days of all this, I remember when Courage was, was, you know, leaving, uh, MLG and, and, and you were, you, I mean, you, you literally told me like to my face, you're like, he's going to be a star. I just sat down with him and, and like, he's going to be huge. Like what, what was it in that moment? I guess that stuck out to you and, and about courage and, and just how do you think about even identifying talent? Cause I think you really do have an eye for, for talent. And, and obviously you were very right on, on courage as, as a human. Uh, I, I think at the end of the day, what it comes down to is how those creators or how individuals carry themselves and what their work ethic is like and what their engagement is like when they're live streaming and what their chat is saying. I, I, I think it's, 
it's not something that I can really put metrics on. I mean, it really just comes down to that individual on a case by case basis and how they handle their business and how they handle themselves on camera. Because uh, a lot of times that the current situation is funny, right? Because he was just coming out of his internship at MLG and, and was, was about to go full time. And he was asking for like a salary. And obviously, you know, the people who were involved in our company at that time were like, well, we can't just pay this guy. I mean, he hasn't done anything. And that one was hurtful because a couple <laughs> years later, we had to spend a lot more money than we would have uh, to get him a part of 100 Thieves and maybe would have fast tracked a little bit better. But I think it just comes down to uh, how they carry themselves. I mean, it, it's tough. I know that's an ambiguous and vague answer. Um, but it, it, it's one thing to want to create. It's another thing to go and do it. And even if it's at a small scale and you don't have the biggest audience, I, I have like, I'm not usually an optimi optimistic person, but for smaller creators out there that might see this, like I, I, I do believe that if you're, you have something special and it's different from others and you really believe in what you're doing and, and you carry yourself well and you treat others with respect, you, you will find your way and hopefully find the success that you're looking for. So that's a, that's, a, that's a tough question, Blake. It's, it's hard to dial in uh, just because sometimes I think it might be instinct, but I appreciate the kind uh, words. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I think instinct is fine. I mean, I think, you know, gut and just knowing, I, I mean, it's hard to boil down exactly what it is that you are identifying, but clearly there, there was something in, in courage that you know, resonate with you where I, I remember you just just saying like he's going to be huge and yeah um, so and, and, and I, right, I was so. actually on the other side of this conversation because I was negotiating Jack's deal at Optic uh <laughs> and so I met with him in Dallas when he was a, he got an offer from Activision to stay and I met with him at an ML, MLG event in Dallas and to me it was like his confidence he's like Reed I am so confident I'm going to be one of the most successful Twitch streamers. Like you just need to believe me and give me an opportunity. And he kind of laid out like his process of why he was going to be successful. And I was so sold at that like current moment that I remember like going back to Hector and Hector is already on that boat. He's like, courage is the man. He's going to do great in optic. We got to figure out how to get him. And I was like, okay, we just need to figure out what to pay him. And we were already on the like, okay, pay him whatever he wants. We need him in optic. Uh, let's just make the deal happen. And I remember him saying it was between 100 Thieves and Optic. And we were like, all right, how much money do you want? Like, let's get you to Dallas. So <laughs> it's so funny now to like talk about it because I was on the the other side of that negotiation. And then when I, when he left Optic, it was like a no brainer. I was like, oh, he's going to Matt, like no brainer. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, it, yeah, for sure. I mean, it was definitely a weird time uh, because at that, at that point, like that was in the summer of like 2017. Mm -hmm before we even knew we had an LCS team, before we even knew what we were going to do with the money that we were raising. So yeah. it was just peculiar timing. But yeah, you guys made a, you guys made a good bet. And this was like pre-meeting pre Mr. Beast and, and everything with my career. So it was like yeah. before I had started meeting a lot of creators. But yeah, I was so confident in Jack's ability to be successful. And then even you can even tell the first day he came into Optic, he had everything planned out from his graphics were done. Like he had videos ready for YouTube. He wasn't going to miss an upload. Like as if a creator's watching this, like just go back and look like Jack never missed an upload on his YouTube channel for a full year. Like he did it. He had like everything thought out, planned. He had all his graphics done. He knew his stream schedule is all laid out. A lot of streamers and a lot of people I meet now, it's like they don't have a schedule. They don't know what they're doing the next day. It's like all fly their, their seat. Um, Jack was like very, very planned with like how his success was going to happen. Um, so it's like crazy to see like where he is now within 100 Thieves and all the success that you guys have had together. Yeah, I, I don't know if there's like, there, there's definitely a recipe for success when it comes to consistency. I've never been like a, like a big believer in killing yourself to upload every single day. And I think, I, I think that just is, is due to the, the content that I make and, mm -hmm coming up with something unique that's different from the last. And especially when there's not like a consistent uh, platform like gaming, you know, Jack did a great job with uh, the timing of Fortnite and Call of Duty and never missed an upload. But it, it, for like lifestyle creators or people that create content aside from, from gaming itself, if you don't have like a repeatable format, it can be tough. And I think you just need to invest in the, in, in, in the few ideas that you have to make each individual video as good as it possibly can be if you can't upload every single day. 
But consistency at the end of the day is 100% key. Yeah, for sure. It was, it was extremely important originally, like uh, two, three years ago on YouTube when like your channel would mm -hmm. gain momentum and, and you would actually yeah. lose, lose momentum within suggested views if you stopped uploading consistently. But it's also really interesting to see it on the other side of the coin now where it's like you get rewarded for high ABD, high CTR within your videos. So you're just, you just need to upload really good videos. But then you also have creators like Lankybox who are uploading four videos a day. So they're uploading like 30 videos a week on their channel and they're doing incredibly well, like two to 300 million views a month. Um, so That's now, nuts, now I'm starting to see creators like triple down on daily, not only daily content, but uploading at like 9 a.m., 12 o'clock, 3 p.m., like uploading three to four times a day and like having a massive flywheel of content. So there's multiple ways to make it on YouTube. Um, I think you just have to like find what's right for you, but it's incredibly difficult to come up with consistent good videos. I don't know how there's anybody on this planet that can upload four videos a day. That is crazy to me. I, I don't even think I'd want that success. <laughs> but hey, I'll tell you, that it's easy to say, but when you see two or three hundred million views a month, yeah. man, it's, shit, I'll sit in front of a computer for 12 hours. Might as well. It'd drive you nuts. You'd have gray hair. Oh, <laughs> uh, man, I already do. Look at me. No, nah, no, nah, it looks good. No, there, there's, there's no gray area. Yeah. Oh, there's a lot of grays, actually. That's why I bleach. No, I'm kidding. So Blake and I have actually received a lot of comments like, the, like uh, about this on Twitter is, you know, just content homes, content like incubation systems. Like, do you ever think that there's a world in 100 Thieves where you guys get to a point where instead of signing creators, you guys are just incubating creators? Like you have a big enough brand equity built where you can bring someone in who maybe has 100, like 100 viewers on Twitch and you take them to... 10,000, but you're taking upside in their entire career. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I, I can speak to the economics of what a deal like that would look like, uh, in terms of incubating careers or creators. I think that there are a ton of media companies that I am a fan of that I admire that do that pretty well already. I think Barstool for me comes to mind. They, they take regular employees and turn them into superstars. And that is not an easy thing to do. And it says a lot about their culture and the content that they're curating. And uh, I definitely think that is a necessity for 100 Thieves to have the ability to do uh, for long-term success. I think uh, an individual like JHB, who's an intern for us, I, it's a mixture of how can we support these creators that we're trying to build up? Like, how can we put them in positions to win? But it also takes uh, like an edge from that individual that you're investing in, um, that you believe in, that, that can really run with it themselves too. Like, I think it's, it's sort of like the secret sauce that's really hard to create a recipe for, but that's definitely a goal of ours. And I think JHB like is a really big win for us. Like it, it, we, we, we had somebody that we believed in. We wanted to work at the company. The intern was running our TikTok and it helps uh, curate content for our social media accounts. And I, I don't know whose idea it actually was because it wasn't mine to give him his own show. Like it damn sure wasn't mine. So I can't take credit for that, but it's doing so well on YouTube and we, we sold it against uh, one of our partners. And uh, I think that itself is a great proof of concept. And it, it, that is gotta be uh, like a, a, a pipeline for how we need to approach decision-making uh, in, in the future in terms of incubation. I, I loved the conversation that you were having, Blake uh, and, and Reed, on, on social media. I saw Mr. Beast uh, point something out as well, be like the Y Combinator for creators. Mm -hmm. I think it's easier said than done in a lot of ways. When you have somebody like Mr. Beast get behind somebody, though, somebody he believes in, I think that that becomes like an easier answer and like an easier road to success. But we definitely need to prove that we can do it more often, and hopefully we will in the future. Yeah, I got 4,000 yeah. emails of channels uh, offering Jimmy 10%. So oh, I, I, I can't, I can't only imagine I'm, I, 4,000 seems a little light to be honest. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, you guys in, in, you know, even in the earlier days when, when Jackson would appear in your vlogs, you would have people being like, have Jackson make vlogs, you know? And, and, uh, and I think that is even, uh, like, I think people are just invested into the universe of, of hundred thieves and, uh, and your storylines, even just going back to before. And as long as it's authentic and, uh, you know, people are just naturally curious and brought into those worlds, it becomes a lot easier to do that incubation. But yeah. I think if you're doing it for us and you're like, here's this random person that we're bringing up and now we're going to make them famous type of thing, like that's really hard and, and everyone Man. will see right through that. Me, me and Blake talk about this a lot. Like we really do. And it, it, it I think it's, it's tough because there's so much more that I could be doing. I, I, you're absolutely right. Like, I think the Jackson example is perfect. Like I love Jackson and 
I would not have met him if it wasn't for Blake. And I wouldn't have met him unless he was working at 100 Thieves. So it's, it's always so tough, right? Because me and Jackson get along great. If me and, like, there was a video where me and Jackson, we drove three hours to find this burger that Fortnite put in the middle of the desert uh, and made a video about it. And people loved it. And that was just one example of situations where Jackson popped up in my vlogs. And in some ways, I feel the timing of my life and the, the friends that I have around me in a lot of ways feels too late, right? Because I have my, my best friend, Rich, we want to start this golf venture, but he's a full-time employee at William Morris Endeavor, right? You have like one of my other best friends who's like working at Google. And then you have Blake who lives in Detroit and works in venture. And you have Jackson who has like a, a, an entire roadmap for what he thinks his success is going to be. And ultimately it will be his success. So it's tough because even living in the 100 Thieves content house, you have Jack, you have Brooke, you have Symphony who's all living here. They're all full-time streamers. And so I think in a lot of ways too, like 2Hype, a lot of the, the inspiration behind that decision is like, okay, here's like six guys that are like focused on YouTube and I can go hang out with them more. But yeah, I mean, I, I wish that I had just like an unlimited pool of money to tell all my best friends to quit your job and we'll create like the one of the biggest channels on YouTube. I, I would love that. But in some ways, I just feel like slighted by the timing of all of this coming together, man. It's, a, it's an internal tug of war battle that I have in my head every single day, dude. It's tough. It's like when, when, I, when I talk to John and Jason, uh, Jason is our CFO. I'm like, yeah, guys, I want you to pay my friend Rich uh, a couple hundred thousand dollars a year so he can quit his job and we're going to make a bunch of videos together. Uh, you know, proof of concept is necessary and it, it, it's just not as simple as that. But that, well, that it goes would be back to incredible. the courage thing, though. It goes back to the courage conversation where we were having before, where uh, if you truly do believe it is going to work to the, to the level of conviction you had there, what you really did at the time. Uh, then, then, you know, there are, there is that level of bet that should be made there. I know, man, I, I guess I'm I, to, to, to that point, I am afraid of the pressure, right? Because then it's like, I got to put my big boy pants on. I just had one of my best friends quit his like career at this great agency. Yeah. I have to make sure this is success and that scares the hell out of me. But I think we're working towards that. I'm actually going to film a, uh, course, uh, golf course vlog tomorrow with, with Rich. So I'm excited, but man. I could talk about this for hours. Me and Reed, you don't understand how much me and Blake have talked about this. Mm. Oh, man. I, I mean, it, for the people who are watching this that, that know old school Matt I, or, or Nate Shot, I, I, I used to give uh, Nate Shot a, a ton of uh, a really hard time to, to try and get Embos. And, and just because I used to love watching his videos with, with Bows back in the day and be like, just, just have that person around, you know? Because um, I, I think those old school. Uh, videos of you guys in the house is just kicking it. We're, we're awesome. Yeah, man. It, it, I, man, it's, it's just going to always be like this internal battle of like, how much should I be a part of the day to day to 100 Thieves? Like all these meetings that I'm a part of and all these other content shoots, when can I best optimize my time to go and do things like that again? And it, it, there's just not an easy answer, an easy road to travel down. But uh, I was talking with my girl, like I said earlier, about 2021. And I, I think the the importance of 2021 for 100 thieves and what we can achieve by the end of the year uh, is like a really ambitious goal that we've had since the beginning of the company and i, I like i i feel like there's a fire under my ass because i just want to make it the biggest year ever i mean i literally before this podcast was on the phone with our head of partnerships and our vp of content like hey i have two really good ideas for original ip put a one sheet together and let's go do it I feel like I finally have found my stride in terms of this is the best way I can contribute. Like now give me the tools to go and do it. So hopefully I, I, hopefully I can look back at this podcast on December 2nd, 2021 and say that it was my biggest year yet. So we'll see. Well, I'm excited for the golf content. So whenever you want to play 18 holes of golf, I'm in. My golf game Read is it. very subpar at the moment. Like I shot 82 the other day. It was terrible. Uh, and my, oh, my dad oh. shot 72. Can I swear on here? Yeah, yeah, you're fine. <laughs> Yeah, shot an 82 and it, my game was subpar. I hate you. Shut up, dude. <laughs> well, I it, shoot an 82 and I'm like, that was a great day. I mean, when your dad's a scratch and he shoots 72, like I got my butt kicked. So that's insane. Your dad is a monster. He's really good. He's a really good player. I would be embarrassed he, if my dad was a scratch golfer and I wasn't. I also played, uh, <laughs> he played his 200th round with me last weekend. So 
That's how much golf wow. he plays a year. Yeah, yeah. He's retired. He's 200th round of the year? Of the year. He plays golf for Holy a living. Yeah, shit. so it's like if I wasn't a scratch golfer <laughs> playing 200 rounds a year, I, I don't know. I want to be your dad's best friend. Can you link us up? Yeah, I don't, go I don't to want to be friends with you, Reed. Your dad sounds way go, cooler Go to you. Phoenix and play. I mean, he's going to take all your money. So That's fine, bro. He can have it all, dude. I just want to watch scratch golfer he, play in front of me. He hits it like a schoolgirl, but his short game is impeccable. That's all you need, man. Driver show, puffer dough. So I, you get up and around the green. So Jimmy and I, Jimmy actually, he, he kind of spilled the beans on this a couple months ago uh, about something that him and I were digging into. And, and we, we talked to you about it when you came up for Creator Games in North Carolina, which mm -hmm. totally appreciate you and Jack coming out to do that. Uh, and, you know, him and I, he wasn't supposed to tweet this out and he knows that, but he tweeted out that him and I, or he was looking at getting a League of Legends team. And it's something him and I have spoken about for about two years. And so now we're in all these conversations about NALCS, LEC, LCK, like all these different leagues. Is it a mistake for Jimmy to get involved in League of Legends? You've been in it for two years. Should we just turn around and run? As a co-owner of a North American LCS team with absolutely no bias at all, I, th I, I, I think it's the best idea ever to be a part of competitive League of Legends, whatever region that might be. I think it's even better that he tweeted out about it. I mean, I can't imagine the deals that you guys have in your email <laughs> inbox right now. Like, trust me, I get it. Uh, but man, I, I'll tell you what, I believe in League of Legends. I believe in Riot. I mean, this is a game that has really influenced a lot of big time publishers and developers to make some pretty poor decisions in gaming, right? Like the success of League of Legends has caused people to try to force games into being a competitive title that they think can stick around for a decade or more. And uh, I think League of Legends is here to stay for a very, very, very long time. And especially when it has such an impact, it does at a global level, uh, captures audiences from many different backgrounds all around the world. I just don't see how it can fail. And uh, I believe in North America. I think one day it can be a region that can win. I know you and Jimmy mentioned that you, you want to be a part of a team or start your own team or buy into an organization that can win right now. Mm -hmm. um, and Jackson was trying to convince Jimmy that over for like over an hour, Jackson would not stop talking. I just don't think your goals for this year are realistic. And I'm like, Jackson, shut the hell up. But uh, Jimmy, Jimmy doesn't hear any of that. Like nothing is impossible yeah, right? as, he yeah. as, as he shouldn't. Um, but I, I think League of Legends would be a great investment. And especially if Jimmy plays the game in his free time and, and really loves the culture around the game and, and, and the, the players in the game, I, I think it's nothing but uh, a great decision. Yeah, well, I, I that's agree. all I have to say about that. We'll see. 2021 <laughs> will be an interesting year for Jimmy in terms of what he does, but League of Legends is definitely high on the list. Probably Dude, not man, 2021. Jump into North America. 2022 North America, season. Man. Yeah. Even if you're against us, bro, I'd love to Riot, see Right, give us another international player. Like, come on. Like, level the playing field a little bit. You're going to get the League of Legends subreddit all riled yeah, up. Man. Yeah, oh, man. Now, look, look, we don't wild. need another import spot. We need to develop young talent. Shout out 100 Next. Shout out Hunter Academy. We need to develop talent. But we got to win now, too. It, exactly. So it takes too long to develop talent. Like, <laughs> NA needs to win its first Worlds. Like, I don't care if the Reddit's on fire. We need more international players in NA. We're handicapped. That's the one thing yeah. that's holding us back from buying an NA team right now. I think that's what's really interesting, too, in comparison to like uh, traditional sports, right? Because if your favorite NBA team or NFL team goes into a, a year of rebuilding, people, they know that in the offseason before, and they expect that. And you have to give GMs credit for being in a tough position, whether the budgets get cut or they just don't have the opportunity to sign the best players. But organizations, down to the fans, they know that this is a year for rebuilding. Hopefully, we're going to get a draft spot. I think that's the one thing that's like the biggest hurdle in my mind about investing in younger talent and in, in years that are rebuilding is that the audience has a very, uh, a short-term memory, right? Uh, or a short-term attention span. And they want you to win now, but they also want you to develop talent. And then some years you like, you, it, there's just no opportunities. I mean, we only have two import spots in North America and teams have relationships with other uh, general managers and other opportunities with other players on other teams. And so, you know, you can try as hard as you can to sign the best players, but you know, it, sometimes it's just not in the cards. Um, but even if you perform poorly, you don't get that number one draft spot or better odds for a draft spot for like the best up and coming talent coming out of college. So 
it really is on the organizations themselves to go and pinpoint those young players that are coming up through the ranks, like the 15, 16, 17 year old kids that might be tomorrow's future. Um, but it, it's just not as easy as it sounds. Uh, but yeah, 2022, man, let's go. Mr. Beast, jump on in North America. Let's go, baby. We'll, we'll have a good 100 Thieves Mr. Beast gaming rivalry going on, I'm sure. <laughs> I, I just I don't or or, or hundred beasts or hundred beasts. We'll see. We'll see. I just don't think we're in the like incubating talent game. We're in the like let's go get caps game. You know. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you want to go spend, I ain't even gonna get into it. It doesn't matter. But... Like worlds is like we just got to win worlds. Like what you spend is kind of irrelevant. It's like do like the Yankees win because they spend money, right? Like. Would you rather yeah, be course, the Yankees course, or the? Course, I don't want to throw a team under the bus, but like I'd rather be the Yankees all day long than like some small yeah, town team. Of course, bro. I mean, it's Moneyball at the end of the day, but I mean, a lot of these companies, especially in North America, they have budgets and they have money that they've raised. Like we aren't the Yankees. Like you could you could spend like the Yankees, but it's not always going to translate over to wins. And if you spend that much money and then and drain all of your investors' uh, funds that they just put into this company, the whole thing goes boom. So it's like a, it's, it's like a teeter totter. It's a healthy balance of trying to invest as, as smart as you can in the players, but also not tanking the rest of your business. I, I just don't think it's, you can compare it to the Yankees because the business is, is a little different. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I've always wanted, you know, there's always been the conversation of just League of Legends and these leagues actually showing how much teams are spending. And uh, even if it's not like a player breakdown, but just showing the spend overall, just because then you'll have like a real sense of who's trying to punch up and who's outperforming maybe what they're spending. Mm-hmm. You know, like that that's more of a metric that I think is interesting. Whereas like if you have a team that's, you know, in fourth in spending, but finishing first, that that's just an interesting dynamic. Whereas, you know, a team that's spending the most is continuing to win. That's also like, okay, that makes sense. Like what is the actual dynamic behind that? I think would be interesting for fans to be uh, led into. Yeah, man. At the end of the day, League of Legends is tough. Yeah. And from my understanding, tough, too, and just kind of digging into this world. So I, I zoned out to what Blake said because I, I got like 20 texts in a row and I was reading. So if you were looking for a response from me, I'm sorry because I didn't have it. No, I, I was not expecting a response from you. And, Other than League of Legends is tough. That's what I got from you. Well, and, it's, it's fun when it pays off, though. Yeah. And, and I'm sure that LEC teams are probably spending less because their solo duo queue is a lot more competitive. If I was a good League of Legends player, I probably wouldn't come to NA as my first choice. Right. Like, I don't know the solo duo compared to like other regions, but I'm guessing North America is probably the worst. Right. So if you're a pro player, you'd probably take less money to go play in a different different system. You're going to get me in trouble with the league community, too, on some of these statements. So, well, I don't want to get in trouble with that. Listen, 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 listen. <laughs> I'm going to get a call from Riot tomorrow and they'll be like, listen, you can't say that. <laughs> OK, yeah, yeah. Another import spot and uh, North America players suck. Got it. <laughs> there's no one in, there's no kids in in north america that play league of legends oh man i, I just the, i just don't know if the, i the, if i like truly believe in the like incubation process of us building like players over the course of the next few years that are going to compete on a global scale compared to other you countries. never seen Kenby and tenacity then i i, I, yeah, I have seen the young talent then killing it and incubating players like i i just i we need to make it through at least group stage like i, I can't i can't even watch worlds anymore It'll happen. It'll happen. Trust me. So, so how's the I, weather in Detroit, Blake? <laughs> oh gosh. All right. All right. Um, well, I, I mean, I, I feel like we've we've had or we've taken up so much of your time. Like, I, I think really just one final question from from our end. And we asked this mainly for for creators from their own like how they view their own channels in, in five years. But I'm curious how you just like where do you see hundred thieves in five years? Like, what are your end goals or visions of of where everything is in five years? Our you channel? Can even think out that far. The, the no, just, I mean, the channel. Could be business. Channel, whatever you want. Man, a, it's it's tough to boil down, right? I, I think over the last few months, now looking into the future, and like I said earlier, we have this foundation now. We're not building the plane as we're flying anymore. We have more employees. We have more talent. We have people making great decisions every single day. So I I, I, I don't... I don't want to sit here and dream too big. I, I like to dream big in my own mind. And I like to, I don't like to overpromise and underdeliver, deliver, uh, even if it's for myself or for you guys or any platform, any medium. I, I just hope that we can build a successful brand that, that people think of when they think of video games or pop culture in general. Uh, I think we're laying seeds um, 
to hopefully blossom over the next couple of years. And we're going to be making some big bets in 2021 as well, just like we have in this past year. And uh, I hope we're creating videos that people love. I hope we're creating apparel that people love. And I hope we're uh, putting together esports teams that are winning. And uh, that's, that's the goal for the next five years, just to continue what we're doing, but do it better. And uh, I'm going to keep the rest to myself because I don't want to set up too high of expectations. I'll do that in my own head, not publicly. That's fair. Yeah. Well, we enjoy. It's not a great answer. It's ambiguous and vague, and it's 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 a it's a cop out. But nah, it's a good answer. I mean, I I I've I've had a lot of fun supporting you from afar, and you know, wearing the apparel, and I appreciate everything you guys send to Jimmy and I and and everyone else around. Uh, And it's it's been great seeing your success and your transition from a pro player to a content creator to a an entrepreneur. And I think any content creator that aspires to do more with their career should look to you as a, as a blueprint. And so for that, like, you know, I think Blake and I are both inspired by you and what you built. So we, and we appreciate you coming on, man. This was great. Yeah. Hey man, you guys gassed me up far too much for an hour and a half. My girlfriend's not even going to want to look at me with how big my head's going to be for the rest of this evening. Um, but I, yeah, thank you guys so much. And uh, I said it before, I'll say it again. Shout out Blake Robbins, uh, for really jumpstarting all of hundred thieves and I mean, this man, Blake, wrote the entire application for the LCS. I mean, it was like 70 pages long. This man, dude, I was eating Cheeto puffs off my <laughs> belly button, watching Netflix, and this man's like cranking away till 5 a.m. every night. I get too much credit, uh, but I thank you guys for all the kind words. Shout out Blake Robbins. Shout out John Robinson. Shout out Oak Boys. I'm out.